the internet or anything like that. If we mention someone in prayer that doesn't want it to be that public, uh, but uh, we'll save that prayer time to the end of the service. But I would ask you tonight to turn to Revelation chapter number 7. Revelation chapter 7. And uh, then we'll get into chapter 8. In fact, I think we're pretty much done with 7. I'm not going to say much more about it. Uh, we'll get right into chapter number 8. And this chapter, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9. And then we're going to get into uh, another one of these parenthetical chapters where there's kind of a break taken in between. Uh, but these are chapters that are very interesting to me. All of it's interesting to me. Uh, but certainly these chapters that are dealing with these vials and then they're dealing with these trumpets is what we're fixing to get into. Uh, I mean the seals and the trumpets and then we'll get into the vials that are coming up uh, later on. And uh, I will say this tonight that I take a literal approach as I teach Revelation and as I study it and I read it for myself. Uh, I believe in taking it as literally as we can uh, and uh, just praying for wisdom to understand and to believe what God has written down. If we're wrong, we're wrong, but I'd rather stand before the Lord having taken his word literally and been wrong than to try to change his word and stand before God and, and have changed it. Uh, so I take God at his word and I believe it as he said it, the way he says it and speaks to us here in the word of God. Uh, before we go into our chapters and our study tonight, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on this time of study. Lord, it's at this time in our, our time of Bible study on Wednesday night that we ask for a blessing upon this reading of thy word and upon the rest of this Bible study tonight. Lord, as always, I ask that you put me aside. Father, that you might be exalted and help me to decrease, that you might increase tonight. Lord, I acknowledge before your presence that I am nothing and that I know nothing apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit might come and just minister to our hearts, illuminate us, enlighten us, guide, lead, and direct, and teach us tonight. Lord, you said that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide us to all truth, and that's our desire. Lord, to be led to the truth of thy word with each passing day and each passing week. And each month, we know we're drawing one step closer to the moment that we'll see these things come to pass and we'll see them, whether in heaven in the presence of you and the holy angels that are there, or Father, whether by the rapture, the coming of the Lord, or the events that are going on in our world today, we know, Lord, is just a precursor of the things that are about to happen to this world. So help us, Lord, to, to turn as many to you as we can and to stand upon the truth of your word. And bless us as a church tonight. And Father, I pray that you'd minister to each heart as we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen and amen. Well, we're wrapping up chapter number 7. And uh, we've got down to about verse number 14, 15, or 16, somewhere thereabouts, where uh, Sunday night we talked about where he's giving the glory and the wisdom and the blessing and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the might. In verse number 12 and then verse Number 13, white robes are given to those that are there. And it's a type of the fine linen of the saints and the righteousness uh, uh, of the saints through Jesus Christ. The robe of righteousness, the garments of salvation. And then in verse number 14, and I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And we talked about how the great tribulation is found here, as you see on a chart. On this chart, the great tribulation makes up the last of the three and a half years of the seven years of the tribulation. So these are tribulation saints. We also know that because it said that they have made them white in the blood of the lamb. Speaking of their robes. And our robes aren't made white in the blood of the lamb. We are made white in the blood of the lamb. According to the word of God, that's Revelation 1.5. We are washed in the blood, not our robes. And, uh, and so these are saints that will... Be turned to the Lord, I believe, during the tribulation. And verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And just to kind of recap on that a little bit, uh, we're going to find in chapter number 8 and other chapters in Revelation mention uh, scriptures that are mentioning objects that are found that 
were found in the tabernacle that are also found in the temple on earth, of course Solomon's temple, and then will be found uh, in heaven as John sees them before the Lord. Uh, everything that Moses was commanded to do in the Old Testament, in the giving of the law, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh, was commanded to him by God and is a type and a pattern, as God told him, of the heavenly temple. So there is a temple in heaven right now. We can't see it, but it's there. It's strange there's no temple in Jerusalem. Uh, that was destroyed uh, throughout history, even before the time of Christ, and then rebuilt. And then after the time of Jesus Christ, in AD 70, Titus goes through and destroys it. You've all heard, I'm sure, the stories of the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the uh, trees being ripped down and being used uh, as, uh, as crosses to crucify Jews that were there by the hundreds. Uh, the heat from the, the fires uh, in AD 70, they said, melted the gold till it melted and ran down the cracks of the temple at that time. And so that temple ceased to exist. Even in the time of Christ, there was no Ark of the Covenant inside the temple. And in this dispensation, in the church age, you and I that are saved tonight, we are the temple of God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. But in heaven, there's also a temple of God that reflects the earthly tabernacle and temple that is there. And so it talks about them serving God in the temple and the fountain of water of life. And we'll read about that later towards the end of Revelation. There is a river of life that flows out from the throne of God. And so there is a river that is mentioned that is there. And then it says, of course, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And we know that's true, not only here, but is repeated again uh, in Revelation chapter number 21, verse number four. God's going to wipe away tears from the eyes of all of those that will be in his presence following the judgment seat of Christ and also following the great white throne judgment. So we've gone through these seals and we've gone through the sixth seal and we had this parenthetical chapter and now we're going to open the seventh seal. And I want us to understand tonight that the seals contain punishment that is given to man that he brings upon himself. What's going to follow in the form of the trumpets begin the judgment of God that he's going to inflict upon man. So one is man upon man's self and now it's going to be God upon man for his actions. And they're worse one after the other. Uh, we're going to see that the seals are nothing compared to the trumpets. And the trumpets are nothing compared to the vials. It's just it's getting worse. And with each seal it got worse. Well with each trumpet it's going to be worse. And it's as if the seventh seal that's here. The silence we're going to read about. It's like there's an umbrella under it of the seven trumpets that follow under the seventh seal. So let's go ahead and look in verse number one of chapter number eight. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Uh, the Bible speaks in verse number one of there being silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. I've researched this for years and just about any study Bible commentary I can get my hands on. And just talking to other preachers and Bible teachers and nothing has ever really been satisfactory as to explain the silence of the space of half an hour in heaven. It's one of those things that there's just not anything that that kind of correlates or corresponds with this passage. We don't know exactly what this is about. As far as the, the half an hour, is that 30 actual minutes? Uh, is that 30 prophetic minutes? Uh, what, what's the symbolism of the silence there? But about the best that I can come up with is that from the time that heaven was created, 
And from the time the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim have been praising God, from the time that the first of the saints of God, and we think about Adam and all of those that have followed that are there in the presence of the Lord and those in the New Testament church age that have been there for the past 2,000 years, there has never been silence in heaven. If we could hear into heaven's portal, into the door of heaven, into the window or a gate of heaven right now, we would hear the praises of God ascending nonstop every second of every moment of every hour of every day down here on this earth. Angels and seraphim praising God, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is uh, and is to come. The whole earth is full of thy glory. We just read about in the last chapter the praises in verse 12, all blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto God, under the Lamb. We hear of harps being played in heaven. We hear of songs being sung in heaven. We hear of all these things that are, it's a noisy place, but it's a good noise. It's the noises of adoration. It's the noise of worship. It's the noise of praise. It's the noise of exaltation to God. And for 30 minutes, half an hour, there's going to be silence for the first time in heaven. Now, what a moment that would be to hear in heaven the sound of a pin dropping. And the silence that will take place is just momentarily before the outpouring of the judgment of God upon the earth in the form of these trumpets that are yet to follow. And the trumpets that are, are going to be sounded are sounding an alarm of judgment upon the earth. The seventh seal is open and the silence takes place and what follows in verse 2 down through the rest of the chapters, especially in verse 7, is going to be the first trumpets going to sound. But there's this moment of silence when the seventh seal is open where the prayers of the saints is emphasized. And we talked about this in a previous chapter, but just to kind of recap because of the information that's here in verse number two he talks about the seven angels which stood before god to them were given seven trumpets we don't know the names of these angels there's only three supernatural angels if you will that are mentioned in the bible one is michael he's called the archangel we read about michael the archangel we read about gabriel Gabriel's the one that announces the birth of the Messiah. He's the one that stands before Zacharias. He's the one that stands before uh, uh, Joseph and, and Mary and tells them that, that, uh, that she would conceive and bring forth the Son of God. And Gabriel, in fact, in chapter, Luke chapter 1 verse 19 says to Zacharias, he said, I am Gabriel which stand in the presence of God. He might be one of these seven angels that's in the presence of God. These are seven angels. Specific angels out of an innumerable company of angels that have a certain task and a certain purpose to fulfill by the command and order of God. So these seven angels are there. We know of Michael. We know of Gabriel. We know the other is Lucifer. And Lucifer is not technically an angel. He's a cherub in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. He's the anointed cherub that covereth. He was the fifth cherub. There's four presently. He was the fifth. He's the one that failed. And so all the stories that, that, uh, of angels with names, that's just folklore. That's just legend. That's just tradition. The Bible only records these angels as being named Michael and Gabriel. But yet we know that angels have names because the Bible records that fact and says that God knows every star, every angel's name, and he gives to them a name in glory in heaven. So we see in verse number three, another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came out of the prayers of the, uh, with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Uh, the prayers of the saints are mentioned as it was in a previous chapter. If you remember the story of the, the tabernacle and in the temple, you have a brazen altar and you have a golden altar. The brazen altar is for sacrifice. 
It was five by five. It pictured hell. It was the same height of the Ark of the Covenant. It was the same height as the mercy seat to the, to the, the, the sacrifice that was offered on the brazen altar. In order to ever get into the presence of God, you had to first go through a sacrifice as you made your way into the holy place and the holy of holies. You can't get in the presence of God without dealing with a sacrifice. It's a picture of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. And it's a picture of hellfire. An eternal sacrifice. Those that are in hell tonight, as horrible a thought as it is, according to the Bible, are burning sacrifices. Their torment, the smoke of their torment, the Bible says, ascendeth up before God forever and forever and forever. You can either accept God's sacrifice on the cross, His Son, or you have to pay the price for your sins yourself. It's as simple as that. But there is, there is uh, embers and there's coals that are burning on this altar. And so the incense would have been placed in something about like what this priest, if you can see here, is carrying. He's carrying, you may have seen it in a Catholic church. They try to copy this stuff out of the Old Testament. But they'll take incense and they've got it on a chain and they swing it as they go into the church. And they, they go in there and they'll swing it everywhere they go. They come down the, you know, the aisle and they're swinging the incense. They get that from the Old Testament and they're trying to duplicate, replicate that. Well, these angels are taken, this angel has taken the golden censer, which would be this, and taken coals off of the fire, off of this uh, 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 altar of incense that's there, a uh, 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 sacrifice, and taking it and placing it with the prayers of the saints and the incense from off the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now, something that came to my mind as I was studying this even today, the prayers of God, our prayers, I should say, to God are so important that God keeps them close to him, close to his presence there at the altar, the golden altar of incense. When we pray, our prayers are coming into the very presence of God, into the holy of holies, into the mercy seat, into the throne room. That's why we can come boldly before his throne of grace, that we may obtain grace and, and mercy and help in a time of need. God looks at our prayers that significantly. The other thing that I was thinking of, is how that our prayers are being somehow kept and, and in store. I don't profess to understand that. I know that everything we say, the Bible says, every idle word that man shall speak, he'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word that's coming out of my mouth tonight is being recorded. So it's being kept. But even our prayers are kept. And somehow our prayers are like incense. And that incense is ascending before the throne of God and are connected with these trumpets that are about to sound. So the incense is very significant and very important in the word of God. I mentioned this to you before, but look in Psalms 141. A few weeks back we were talking about this, uh, but look in Psalms 141 is a great example of what we're talking about tonight. Psalms 141 and verse number 2. Verse number one, we find that David's praying. That's his cry. He said, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. That word cry, that's praying. He's praying to God. We know that from verse two. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And the lifting up of my hand as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. He says, my prayer is like incense before the throne of God. We find later on in Luke chapter 1 verse 10 that they went into the temple and offered incense at the time of prayer. Those two things connect together. So our prayers are in store. Our prayers are being kept and our prayers alone are not enough. Our prayers are imperfect. There's no such thing as a perfect prayer. You know, people admire people that pray. I've had people tell me that before. They'll say, so-and-so, you just have to hear them pray. You just have to hear them pray. I've been around a few people that I don't like to use the word impressed, but I was impressed when they prayed. 
I've also been around some that I was kind of depressed when they prayed. But I was certainly around one that especially that when they prayed, they weren't trying to impress anybody. It's just when they prayed, you knew they were in the presence of God. Talk about fast. Just one, one word, you're in the presence of God. But our prayers are significant. Our prayers are important. There's no imperfect prayers. That's why God adds our prayers to incense. That incense is a picture of purity. It's a picture of the purity of Jesus Christ in his life, in his death, in his ministry, in everything about him, his purity. We take our prayers and we add Jesus Christ to it. And now our prayers come before the presence of God. Now we have access to God. We don't need an Old Testament priest. By the way, you don't even need a preacher to get your prayers answered. You can get your prayers answered through your high priest, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's our great seated high priest, according to Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews, uh, all through the, the book of Hebrews, I should say. He is our high priest seated in the heavens, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So our prayers are being reserved. I wonder tonight. How many of your prayers and mine will be added to these trumpets, to the incense and all that is about to come upon the earth? Do you have any prayers that are in store before God? Do you have any prayers that, that at the judgment one day, God's going to open up the book and he's going to show you all the prayers that you prayed? Would they amount to much of anything? I've thought about that before. If you were to, to write down every prayer that you've ever prayed, how many pages? Would you be able to fill a chapter? Would you be able to fill a book? They've done studies on this and they say that the average Christian prays less than three minutes a day. Three minutes a day. Which means when we sing that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, we're all liars. Amen. <laughs> we, they're always revising everything. They need to revise it. Sweet three minutes of prayer. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 that calls me from a world of care. So I can get off my cell phone long enough uh, or the television or something else. Sweet minute of prayer. Sweet minute of prayer. It's okay. They said the average, statistically, the average pastor, preacher, prays seven minutes a day. So they're not much better. But our prayers, do they amount to much of anything? True prayer is what the Bible's speaking about. In verse number four, the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God at, out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. And cast it to the earth and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. What's getting ready to follow is connected with natural elements. Up until this point, we've been seeing these seals open in the form of white rider, horse riders, red, black, pale. The souls of the martyrs that were there. There's some changes that are taking place on the earth. But here something is now going to take place with the elements of this world, the natural elements, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the land, the trees, the seas, and all these things are going to be impacted by the judgment that's coming to this world. The voices, the thunderings, the lightnings, and the earthquake are all images of the judgment of God that's coming. The voices of God. Voices are connected with the, not only the voice of God, but the second coming. Uh, Behold, he cometh with a shout. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of the archangel. Those voices are very significant and important. Back when Moses uh, received, well, I don't have it up here, but back when he re received the Ten Commandments. And he's up there on Mount Sinai. The Bible says, similarly, there was voices... And lightnings off the mountain and smoke ascending off the mountain and fire unfolding itself on the mountain and earthquakes to the point where the people came to Moses and they said, don't let God speak to us anymore. You go speak to God for us. We don't want to hear the voice of God anymore. Can you imagine that scene? Every time I read that, it just... That does more for me than any science fiction film I've ever seen in my life. Can you imagine seeing this mountain from a distance? And seeing the fire of God just fall upon it. 
And like the burning bush, the mountain is burning, but it isn't consuming the mountain. And to the point where even Moses is able to go into the midst of the fire and not come out burnt himself. And the smoke billowing off of it and the earth shaking and the voice of God. And it says the trumpets, which are also connected here with the judgment of God, sounded louder and louder and louder and louder. To the people feared and it said they quaked and trembled and they went to Moses and they said, you speak to us, don't let God speak to us. Moses descends and he has the glory of God upon his face. He covers himself with the veil from that point forward because he was in the presence of the Lord when he heard all these things and seen these things. I mean, it was terrifying to the nation of Israel. Don't you know it's going to be terrifying to this world? There's an indication throughout Revelation that a lot of these things, it's almost as if the veil between the supernatural and the natural has been lifted and natural things are taking place like they always did down here. But now supernatural things are happening. And people may very well be hearing and seeing these things with their own eyes, even though they're lost. We know that from many passages that tell us that they'll cry out to God. And not in, in repentance, but in blasphemy. And they'll say... They're cursing God and they're blaspheming the name of God for all the things that are going on on this earth. Verse number six, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The seven trumpets, as we said, will be worse than the seven seals. These events correspond with many passages in the Bible, but I want you to look in the Old Testament, the minor prophet book of Joel. Look back in the old minor prophet book of Joel. Joel chapter number 2. Right after you have the book of Hosea. You go Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Joel chapter 2. And once you look in Joel chapter 2 in verse... Number 30. If you have a study Bible, it may have a little heading above it. It'll say something along the lines of the signs preceding the second advent, the day of the Lord. Many of these companion passages, Isaiah 13, 9 and 10, Isaiah 24, 21, 23, Ezekiel 32, 7 through 10, Matthew 24, 29 and 30. Listen at verse number 30, though, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. Verse 31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant. Whom the Lord shall call. Joel says prophetically the same thing that John sees in Revelation. He says the events that are going to be happening with the hell and the, and the, the stars and, and uh, meteorites and the sun. And all these things are going to happen in the last days. And by the way are focused on and centralized on Jerusalem. When we read about passages that are going to talk about the sea and the land, no doubt it's going to affect the whole globe. But it's primarily emphasizing the land around the nation of Israel. When it'll say the sea, it's not necessarily speaking about everything in the uh, Pacific Ocean or in the Atlantic Ocean, although it probably will affect all of that. It, it undoubtedly would have to. But the emphasis are on the Mediterranean Ocean. Uh, it's just like the flood. I hear all these stories about it was a localized flood in Noah's day. No, it was a globalized flood. But it started localized with Noah where he was and it expanded throughout the whole earth. I believe these events are focused on Israel but then and around the Mediterranean but, and, and Egypt and, and those nations round about. But it's going to go out to the whole world. It would have to go out to the whole world. So the natural elements are going to be affected by these trumpets. And as I was reading today, I even thought about this. I, I think we're close to these events. I really do. Now, my dad used to say it. My grandpa used to say it. and His grandpa used to say it. But I'm telling you, we are getting close. 
I believe the signs of the times are everywhere to the point where we're no longer even looking for signs anymore. We're listening for the sound of the trumpet. That's what we're listening for. And I wonder tonight if we're so close, if the angels aren't already lining up and beginning to wet their lips and getting ready to take a deep celestial breath of air to blow these trumpets that are about to come to this world. There's an old movie. It's probably considered... Uh, you know, taboo and racist and everything nowadays, but uh, the world that we're in. But it was made in, in innocency. It wasn't made to be ugly or any of that. It was an old black and white movie called Green Pastures. You can't find it anymore. Green Pastures, you may have heard me talk about before, but uh, is a classic. It won all kinds of awards back when it was made. It was made right after the days of the silent film. And Green Pastures is uh, the story of a, a black church that a little girl in her Sunday school class is falling asleep, like some of you might feel like tonight, and she dozes off, and the rest of the movie is her interpretation of heaven based off of what she knows from the story she's heard in Sunday school and from her pastor. In fact, most of the main characters, it's telling the whole story of the Bible through the eyes of a little girl and God is her pastor and one of the main deacons is Gabriel. And I mean, it's funny to see all these characters show up in the story. And the story is actually very, very scriptural, but made in a very cute way. And it has a lot of spiritual wisdom in it. But there's parts of the movie that to me has always stood out. One of them is Gabriel, he's anytime God's in, in getting ready to do something, uh, Gabriel's there around the office. You know, he's there up in God's office in heaven. And, uh, and God's telling Gabriel to do this or that. And, uh, and, and Gabriel, every now and then, will take the trumpet out of its case and he'll lick his lips and he'll put it up to his mouth and he'll get it about there. And, and God will say, Now, wait a minute, Gabriel. Put that trumpet down. And Gabriel will say, he said, now, Lord, I, I wasn't going to blow it. I just wanted to get the feel of it. And I remember watching that thinking, I wonder if that's how it is right now. I wonder if these trumpets, if they're up there, these angels are licking their lips and getting ready to blow the trumpet. And God says, now, wait a minute. Wait just a moment longer. Don't you blow it yet. And they're saying, I'm not going to blow it. I'm just wanting to get the feel of it. Now, let me show you something before we get these trumpets tonight. I want you to look in two places in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 23 and then in the book of Numbers chapter 10. Leviticus chapter number 23. Trumpets have always played a very important role in God's dealing with man. The trumpets of the Old Testament. God designed these trumpets. The use of these trumpets even to the point. Where God tells them exactly what they should and shouldn't do with them. And the trumpets, of course, is not a brass trumpet like you think of in a brass band. Uh, it's not anything like that. It would have been an, a horn that would have been an animal horn. Something, uh, some were shorter like a ram's horn and some were longer like a shofar. But look in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 24. Speaking of the children of Israel, saying... In the seventh month and the first day of the month shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, unholy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. There is a special time, a special event, a special convocation of the nation of Israel of the blowing of trumpets, the feast of trumpets. Those trumpets played a very important role in, in Israel's history, including their celebrations, which I'm going to explain here in just a moment. But look in Numbers chapter 10, in verse number 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them. Look at this, number 1, for the calling of the assembly. Number two, and for the journeying of the camp. Verse three, and when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle. Verse four, but if they blow but one with one trumpet, he gets into 
what you do with one blow and one trumpet. Verse 5, but when you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. Verse 9, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from the enemy. He said, when you blow the trumpets. So he tells Moses, he said, tell Israel to make two trumpets. They're going to be silver trumpets. He said they're primarily for two things. He said, first of all, the calling of the assembly, and second of all, for the sounding of an alarm. Just like in the military, you have, what is it, Reveille. That's the time you, you call the troops, you muster them outside and get them out in order. And get them in their ranks. And God says that's the purpose of the trumpet. You blow the trumpet, that's for the assembling of yourself together. When that trumpet blows, you get together. I'm here to tell you tonight, when the trumpet blows, we're going to be assembled together in the, head, in the air with the Lord Jesus Christ. The trumpet shall sound. The Bible says we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. The assembling of themselves, which also involved the journeying of the camp. So as they're parked all around here in their tribes, God told every tribe to be here, never tribe to be there, never tribe to be all around. And he said, but when it's time to pick up and move down, he said, you assemble them together. So we get ready to journey. He said, but you also use it to sound an alarm. These trumpets that are about to sound are not for feasts. They're not celebratory type of, of trumpets that are blowing to celebrate any type of a, a celebration of a feast. It's in a sound of an alarm. And it could be that the earth will hear the trumpets when they blow. Can you imagine that tonight? Can you imagine walking outside and all of a sudden something sounds in your ear so deafening and so loud it drowns out the noise of airplanes it drowns out the noise of cars and 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 the, the noise of trains and all the air pollution and it sends a chill just a chill into your spine to hear the sounding of the trumpet and knowing that something is about to follow it now whether they hear it or not the judgment is coming let's look in Chapter number 8 and verse number 7. The first trumpet, the first angel sounded and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. The first trumpet when it sounds, that trumpet blows and it's involving hell. But it's not just normal hell, it's supernatural hell, it's hell that's mingled with blood and fire. Now the closest thing we can find to this in the Bible. And many of these trumpets and judgments that are falling upon the world. And especially upon Israel. During these seven years of tribulation. Are parallel back to the days of Exodus. When God took Israel out of Egypt. You know one of the plagues that was upon Egypt. Was a plague of hell that was mingled with fire. It was absolutely destructive. It destroyed monuments, undoubtedly. It destroyed uh, all kinds of, of housing and, and, and fixtures there in Egypt. It destroyed animals and livestock. It destroyed the grass and any green thing that was growing. The trees and all of that were affected. This isn't just your typical hailstorm. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in some bad hailstorms. I have. I've been in them so bad before. We were in one one time down in South Carolina, uh, not too far from Hilton Head, and it came down so bad that our vehicle looked like you took shotgun, uh, you know, a, a buckshot, and just, just shot from a distance all over the vehicle. There were dings and holes all over. The windshield, everything was broken. It was all over the place. I've seen it before where it looked like it had snowed. There's so much hell on the ground in the summertime. Maybe you've seen times like that. My dad said back when he was growing up in Texas, he said a lot of times they'd have storms where hell would be the size of tennis balls or baseballs. This hell that's coming down, we find there's even measurements in another place about it. It would be the size of a bowling ball. Can you imagine that coming down? But not just the proportion of it, but what it involves, it's hell mingled with fire. This correlates to Exodus chapter 9 verse 22. 
It's going to affect the earth in such a way that a third part of the trees are going to be burned up and all grass is going to be burned up. Now again, whether this is globally or whether it's localized around the land of Israel, it's going to be known to the whole world. The whole world's going to be able to see it. They're going to experience it. They're going to know about it. Nothing today can be hid. Can you imagine when these events are going to take place? It'll be even more so with the use of technology. But the blood is connected with the problem from the very beginning. From the time of Adam and Eve, there's been a blood problem. Adam was born in the image, or not born, but made, created in the image of God. He was created as a sinless being, but through sin, his blood became tainted. It became corrupted. Now, mankind, through Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, has a blood problem. It's not so much that you are, you're just a bad person. It's the fact that we are born into sin. We have a sin nature. And from Genesis to Revelation, we find the blood mentioned over and over and over and over and over again. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of this, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. The blood, there is a blood problem. And so blood is going to be mingled with fire and hell. And it'll affect the trees. Now, I'm always amazed anytime I, I travel anywhere that there's, just like where we live here, there's trees all over the place. And they're saying there's a shortage of trees in the world. Uh, I don't know where they're living, but everywhere I've ever been, there's not really a shortage of trees. <clears throat> but uh, you go to Alaska and there's no shortage of trees there, for example. You go down to Arkansas, there's no shortage of trees. There's pine trees so thick down in South Georgia. Uh, the pine trees are so thick you can't hardly see anything through it. The scenery is, if you want to see mountains, you see ant hills. And if you want to see scenery, you see pine trees. That's about it in South Georgia. And, uh, but the trees, imagine the trees being destroyed. You ever have a tornado come through or been in an area where you've seen the path of a bad storm come through? And it's something that's kind of heart-wrenching when you see the trees toppled over and the tops out of the trees and branches everywhere. Imagine not just some, but a third of the trees and a third of the grass is going to be affected. That's the first trumpet. If that's not enough to get your attention, look at the next one. Verse number 8. The second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. We don't know any interval. We don't know how long it takes. Obviously, we know there's seven years. Obviously, we know there's the great tribulation, which is the worst part, the three and a half years that's there. But we don't know if it's one back to back. As soon as one blows, the very next second, another, another one blows. But they're blowing in sequence. And as the trumpets are sounding the alarm and sounding the judgment of God upon the earth, one follows the next worse than the one before. It's almost as if the world don't even have time to react to the trees and the hell and all that's been destroyed by the hell before they hear the sound of the trumpet. And what follows is a great mountain burning with fire. Now, again, nobody knows exactly what this is. The best guess would be a meteor, a meteorite. Uh, we know that when the Lord in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 to 35 and other places wanted to compare what he's going to do to the ten nation federated kingdom that's going to be in control under the rule of the antichrist during the tribulation he says that a great stone not cut with hands is going to fall upon the feet those ten toes which represent ten nations the clay and the stone and the stone cut out of the mountain which represents the stone of the millennial kingdom of christ is going to fall upon the feet uh, of those nations and symbolically destroy it. We also see that there's going to be a burning mountain falling down from the sky. Now, here's what I take away from it. It's almost as if the world has an insight to these things that they don't even recognize they have. By that I mean Hollywood 
produces movies all the time about the things we're talking about. They just don't connect the dots with it biblically. There are, there's been movie after movie about natural disasters. There's been movie after movie about uh, a meteor coming to earth. And what are we going to do when it's a meteor coming to earth? I read an article not too long ago about some meteor that they said it was the closest one that came to the earth in so many hundreds of years or something. And uh, it skipped by our orbit or whatever. But they were, you know, if it had been a, a few hundred miles this way or that way, it could have destroyed this or that. They are infatuated with the idea that there's a meteor that's going to hit the earth at some point and what to do about it. Where do they get that from? If you read your Bible, God tells you it's going to happen. Now, of course, they don't believe the biblical record of it. They make up their own accounts. I've heard, and I'm sure you have too, that dinosaurs were destroyed because a meteor hit the earth four billion years ago. And it, it was such a large meteor that it hit the earth, created a great crater, kicked up all this dust. You've heard this story, right? Kicked up all this dust that darkened the sun for so long, it changed the temperature of the earth. And because it changed the temperature of the earth, uh, uh, everything died because nothing could grow. Things burnt up. Uh, reptiles, you know, dinosaurs died because they couldn't have the warmth of the sun, all these things. And you, th you say, well, where's the evidence of that? There is none. It don't exist. The evidence is in their mind. Yes, there's evidence that meteors have hit the earth and large ones. There's huge craters. You've seen pictures of them. There's some that are in the ocean. There's some out there out west, huge craters. There's not any evidence that supports that they, that was what wiped the dinosaurs off the face of the earth. None. Zero. But it's in the textbooks. And that's what children and young people are taught from the time they're in grade school. Why dinosaurs are no longer existing on our earth. Because a meteor at some point did what the Bible says is going to happen in the future. It did it in the past. But see now they're so infatuated by it that they make movies about it. They believe it's going to happen. All these 2012 movies. Remember that when it came out? And, uh, I mean, all these movies about the last days of mankind, huge tidal waves are going to wipe out the world because a meteor hits the oceans or a huge earthquake that's going to shake everything. We watched one the other day, a low-budget movie about a 10.0 earthquake going to hit out in California. Uh, there's a movie a few years ago with, you know who The Rock is, the actor of The Rock, right? Uh, don't act like you don't know who he is. You know who he is. And uh, Dwayne Johnson, that, that's right. And uh, he, uh, he made this movie about uh, the San Andreas Fault out in California and what's going to happen when a huge earthquake hits it. The Bible says it is going to happen. And they know it, but they don't want to connect the dots back to God. Imagine a meteor, not just a little shooting star, but something that's going to hit to the point where look at the effects of it again. Verse 9, and the third part of the creatures which are in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. There's a whole lot of ships out there in the ocean right now. The ocean's a pretty big place. There's a whole lot, whether military ships or whether commercial fishermen or just, you know, pleasure type vessels that are used just to, to cruise out there in the water. A third of them are going to be destroyed. The trillions and trillions of fish and whales and all the things that are in the ocean are going to die when this giant mountain of a rock is going to, that's burning is going to come down in our atmosphere and hit the sea. And the Bible says not only that, but it's going to become blood. What does that sound like? Remember back in Exodus... What was that miracle that Moses did before Pharaoh and his magicians? He turned the water into blood. And I was taught that wasn't real blood. I was taught that it was uh, a red tide. And it was some kind of plankton-like things that turned the water red, the water of the Nile. And it gives it kind of a reddish tint. That it wasn't real blood. It was just these little plankton-like creatures that came into the the Nile River. That's what I was taught in Bible college. Kind of strange how they took their pitchers of water that they already had with them and poured it out on the earth and it became what that, that same blood as well. 
And the Bible says the rivers and the fountains of water turn to blood too. That's per, that may be a bigger miracle than just turning the water to blood. Is how would you get all of those little creatures into the pots in the homes and in the pots in the uh, you know uh, and the the houses, the cooking dishes, the the water fountains, and everything. I also heard that it was a volcano that erupted. You've probably heard that one too. That it was a volcano that erupted nearby and the lava and all that that came in the water. I mean, there's all kind anything but believe what God said, right? Anything but that. Imagine a great mountain like Mount Everest hitting the ocean right now. There's a movie called Deep Impact. You ever heard of that one? Deep Impact. That's the idea. It's going to hit with a deep impact. It's going to happen. The Bible says a third of the sea will turn to blood. A third of the sea creatures are going to die. This parallels Exodus 7, verse 20 and 21. Let's get one more tonight. Verse number 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. We went through all of these seals. Now these trumpets are getting worse by each sounding of the alarm. Hail and fire and blood mingled, destroying the trees and the grass and all that's there. A mountain-like object falling from the sky, hitting the waters. And killing a third of the creatures in the water, turning it to blood, and the ships in the water. And now, similarly, the Bible says this time a star, not just a mountain. This also is burning like the one before at the second trumpet as a lamp. And it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. Now, I've heard all kinds of stuff with this as well. I've heard that this is a could be a result of nuclear warfare. Uh, radiation upon the water could cause that. In fact, places like Chernobyl and other places, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and other places where there's been nuclear activity, the water cannot be, you can't drink the water. It's contaminated. Um, and, uh, and so I'm not saying that that's not what this is. But again, I take the Bible literally, and if it says a star falls from heaven burning as it were a lamp, then I can only look at it from two different angles. As we've said before, often stars are synonymous with angels. We find that over and over again. In fact, we're going to find with another one, uh, uh, in verse number one of chapter number nine, look there, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star, just like we just read about, fall from heaven, just like we read about, under the earth, and to him, okay, was given the key to the bottomless pit. In this case, similar thing. Star, star, fell from heaven, fell from heaven. One's called him. Well, we know those planetary-like gases, uh, gas-type objects up there in the sky aren't people. They can't have a name like a, uh, like a human being of such. You can't call a star him, and they certainly can't hold a key, and they can't turn a key. They're just round, glowing objects, right? So here... It's obvious that the star is synonymous with an angel. So it could be in verse number 10 that this is also an angel. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying I don't know. But it could be. The other alternative is like we said before is it's a meteorite. And so it's when it, it's a star, just like we say a shooting star. Well, the shooting star is really not a star. It's just a little fragment, a little piece uh, of uh, space junk or you know, a little meteor, a little chunk of rock. It's not an actual star, but we call it a shooting star. But we see it coming to the earth in that way. So it could be a, a meteorite. It could be an angel. But nevertheless, here's what's, what stands out about it. Is it has a name. And the name of this star is called Wormwood. The results of this Wormwood touching the waters. And you have to keep in mind, already a third of the waters have been turned to blood. So these are the waters that are left. When these waters that are left are struck by the wormwood from this star, 
It's now undrinkable. It's going to kill people if they try to drink it. This is going to affect the fresh water that they drink. Now, a couple of things about it, and then I'll be done real quick. Look back in Jeremiah chapter number 9. Jeremiah chapter number 9. Wormwood is not just mentioned here. It's also prophetically mentioned in Jeremiah chapter number 9. Verse number 15. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. So God says, speaking of his people, the nation of Israel, which this is all these trumpets and seals and all are centered around Israel. He said, I'm going to give them wormwood to drink. And he said, the water of gall. Water of gall. Gall was a very bitter drink. It's like a vinegar type drink. It's, it's bitter. And that's what wormwood is. Uh, wormwood is a, it's a herb. And, uh, and uh, in fact, let me read a couple things I have here. Um, wormwood is a perennial herb. And it's uh, very bitter. And it's still used to this day in Europe to manufacture intoxicating drinks. So something about this angel or this meteorite when it hits the water is going to make it bitter just like this herb makes something bitter and it's to the point where it's not only undrinkable but it's certain death it's like poison if they drink it so one by one and i'm gonna stop there tonight we'll get into it sunday night but one by one these are getting worse if you thought that the hell the fire and the blood was bad Wait till you see a great mountain falling from the sky and hits the ocean. The ocean turns to blood. The creatures are dying. Billions and billions of creatures are dying out in the ocean. You can't eat the fish. You can't think about all the, the lives that are going to be affected by that. Their life is centered around fishing and around eating seafood and things. It's going to affect so many people. Uh, and the ships are going to be destroyed. Now we're having a trumpet sounding with a worm, uh, an angel or, or meteorite that's going to fall and affect the clean water system until it kills people. They can't drink that water. What's going to follow next is going to be the sun is going to be affected. Now God's going to start affecting uh, the heavens, the planetary object, the sun, the moons, uh, the moon and, and the stars and the things of that nature. The planetary bodies are going to experience the judgment of God because ultimately God's going to make it all new. There's going to be a renovation of the earth by fire, 2 Peter 3, 7 through 13. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. And so the point of all this stuff is, is I know it's negative. I know it's hard to get excited about this when you're reading nothing but doom and gloom. But if you're saved tonight, praise God, you, you get to escape it. I mean, that's the blessing. This world, they, it's like I'm saying, they got an insight to this stuff. They go out and pay money and watch movies about what God said already is going to happen for thousands of years. They don't believe God at His Word, but they believe it's going to happen. Uh, I hear them all the time talking about Mother Nature, Mother Nature. Well, there's no Mother Nature. There's only Father God. But they'll say Mother Nature is angry. Mother Nature and the earth is trying to restore its balance. And all this stuff is why there's... You know, natural disasters. But have you noticed there's more earthquakes than ever before? More recorded earthquakes than ever before. Have you noticed there's more tsunamis and there's more, uh, you know, uh, there, there's more volcanoes erupting. There's more plagues and diseases and all this stuff going on. We're in the midst of all of this right now. And it's just the tip of the iceberg of what's coming to this world. But if you trust the Lord tonight... And you know whom you believed. Thank God we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I don't have to worry about it. That's why I don't fear going through the tribulation. I really don't. I don't see any biblical support that we're going through. I believe we're going to be long gone. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're getting ready. We're, we're trying on. We've got to go and get our robes tried on and fitted just right. We've got to get our crowns adjusted, you know, so they fit just right and all of that. And we got to get on our horses. So some of y'all are going to have to take horse training lessons. Some of you are going to have to take 
praising 101 because you haven't done that. We're going to see, uh, we're going to see where there's angels and saints of God bowing down, prostrate before God, praising God. Some of you have never done that yet in your whole Christian life, so you better get started. And we're going to come back with the Lord. So if anybody's here tonight, you've never been saved, I wouldn't waste five minutes without getting saved. I'd get saved tonight. If anybody watches online, I pray the same thing for them. Don't put it off because it could happen tonight. That trumpet could sound. And we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And the worst of the worst events are yet ahead to this world if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to end with that tonight. We'll get back into this chapter, finish up chapter 8 Sunday night. But at this time, I'll finish our, our live stream and we'll get into a couple of prayer requests.